Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. It's serious XM progress. Welcome to the love fest that is Tell Me Everything. Broadcasting and streaming live five nights a week. Hello to all of our evil army of the night listening live. Coast to coast, sending you love. The number to join our little show is 866-997-4748. We want to hear your opinion on everything we discuss and on lots of things that we don't even have time to bring up. Pop culture, politics, history, sex, relationships, child rearing, astrology, what do, music. What do you got? We'd love to hear from you. Hello to the daywalkers. Everyone who's not listening live, but listening the next day on uh, Sirius XM On Demand, on the SXM podcast, or on the John Fugel saying podcast uh, and the Sirius XM app as well. Hello, we love you. You can you don't have to call in anytime if you're busy at night, but you're always welcome to email us at our show's Facebook page. We will read your comments and jokes and threats on the air. So much to get to tonight. And fortunately, we are packed with some of our favorite regulars to make sense of this week that is almost over a week, a, a, a day that I think we're almost done with this day where South Carolina's house Past a six-week abortion ban, where Pride Night at Dodger Stadium has become a complete mess, where the Supreme Court refused to hear a Republican-led case for the reinstatement of Title 42 immigration policies. I guess they realized it wasn't the disaster for Biden they wanted, so they want to bring it back. The car chase between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and the paparazzi, let me just say, I, I, I'm i not usually on the side of people who trash these two, but... um. And again, anyone who's criticizing Meghan Markle is someone who's not taking that time to criticize Prince Andrew, looking at all you racists in the British tabloid press. But a two-hour chase in New York City? Executive producer Chris Hauselt, a two-hour paparazzi chase in New York City? The only way that's possible is if it's in the movie Die Hard 3, which was Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's the movie where you can drive from Wall Street to Central Park in about five minutes. I hate being on the same side as Mayor Eric Adams. It's not the it's not the two hours part. It's the chase part. Yeah, you could. Yeah. I mean, like if they said it, we were stuck in traffic with paparazzi filming us through the window for two hours on the BQE, I'd say, oh, you poor people. Yeah. I totally believe it. A two hour. Ch- you'd you'd be you'd be in Rhode Island by then. For God's sakes. That's West executive Chester. producer Chris Housel, by the way. He's, he's running this show from the uh, South Carolina studios. Thea Harper is running the show from Brooklyn. We've got Dr. Jason Nichols joining us to talk about all the politics of the week. Professor Corey Brettschneider will be here later on this hour to talk about Supreme Court. It was a busy day. 
This is a good show. We have our favorite smart, fun people tonight. And speaking of our favorite people, Chris Christie's going to run for president. And guess who just endorsed him today? No less a figure than Anthony Scaramucci. He, he says he'll back him. And I'm going to say this now. Remember, I said it. Don't be surprised if Chris Christie does much better in this presidential campaign than he did eight years ago. You'll, you'll see what I mean. There's so much to get to. We have so much to discuss. Let's do a show. This is Progress After Dark, starting now. It's time to play Thirsty Thursday. Are you ready? This is the time of the week when we honor the biggest media whores in all of Congress, all of politics, all of pop culture, the people who are so damn thirsty, maybe they should have thought through what they were going to say before they went on camera. Now, there's a lot of it going, and obviously, right now, what we're witnessing in the news is a lot of skepticism that Ron DeSantis is going to be able to beat Trump. Now, we'll get to Ron in a minute, but uh, right now the Republican field is starting to get more crowded. And it's starting to get kind of weird. You're going to be seeing Chris Christie running. You've got Nikki Haley. You've got Tim Scott. They're both running for vice president. Y'all know that. You're smart people. You listen to this channel. Uh, You've got Asa Hutchinson. Asa for fifth place up. Uh, And then, of course, there is Virginia's governor, Glenn Youngkin. Now, he hasn't said he's going to run. He won't declare anything, but he just put out this. He put out this ad for himself, linking himself to Ronald Reagan. And I don't know about you. I'm new around here. Give a quick little listen to this little commercial he made for himself and tell me what this is about. I, I, I don't think this commercial was made just about the Virginia legislative races this year. It's pretty overwhelming to contemplate the future of America. Mm. It's such an honor to be here with proud Americans who carry on President Reagan's cherished legacy. He brought peace by projecting strength at a time when it's easy for us to lose faith, to worry that we are indeed that one generation when freedom becomes extinct. There are lights shining. We can usher in a new era of American values. President so Ronald Reagan get the idea, changed lives. Right? And now uh, it's, it's our John time. I'm enthralled. Life, liberty, <laughs> and the pursuit of happiness. He's saying all the buzzwords. I love Are you here. watching this while you're hearing it? Because the best part of this video is when they show these fighter jets, these U.S. fighter jets. When he says it's time to usher in a new era of American values, and you see these jets in the sky. I, I hate to say it, Glenn, but you might want to fire whoever it is that's buying the clips for your ads. The actual jet is Italian. It's a European typhoon jet. I hope you save some money, though, on the ad. So that's Glenn Youngkin, who's not running for president, but putting ads out about himself like that. That's that's pretty thirsty. I, I, I would agree. Pretty. But what's thirstier than that? Well, What if you were someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, whose entire life depends on saying the most inane shit possible so she can have it repeated later on that evening for the slobbering goobers who watch OAN and Newsmax? And no offense if you're a slobbering goober. I I don't mean to offend your people. Um, Now, now Marge introduced articles of impeachment today against Joe Biden, in spite of the fact that Joe Biden hasn't actually done anything. She, She announced her intent to impeach the president. And the FBI director and the Homeland Security uh, secretary and the attorney general. She's she's a hardworking lady. Hardworking. This is the second impeachment she's announced this week. Here it is. America's sweetheart, Lady Blah Blah, announcing her plan to impeach Joe Biden. 
for national security by refusing to enforce immigration laws and secure our border. Which he's done. Allowed approximately 6 million illegals from over 170 countries to invade That's our country. Not true and racist. Deprive Border Patrol of the necessary resources and policies sufficient to protect our country. No, that's And his administration has willfully refused to maintain operational control as required what? by the law. Yeah, they have done that. In fact, remember a week ago, they were so licking their chops over the bloodbath we'd see when Title 42 expired? And we were talking about how the White House was saying, no, we're ready. Homeland Security said, no, we'll, we'll be ready. It might be rough, but we'll be ready. And even I was expressing doubt. Where, where was the bloodbath? Title 42 expired, and apparently they're dealing with it. So, again, this is disgusting because I know it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I know if dumb was hair, she'd be a Wookiee. I get it. But we have real problems in this country. Guns. Women's losing their reproductive freedoms, health care costs, student loan debt. Everything's expensive. Marge has no plans to help you with any of that. In fact, they were supposed to have a move to have an up or down vote on whether George Santos, who's indicted 13 times, should stay in Congress. Remember that? They were going to have the vote. And what did I tell you last night would happen? Uh, they decided to not have the vote, to not vote to throw George Santos out of Congress and just bury the expulsion resolution in a House committee. That's exactly what happened the last time they tried to impeach him. That's exactly what they did this week. You've got actual corruption right there sitting next to you, Marge. But it's a vote Kevin McCarthy needs, so they're not going to touch him. And again, George Santos's job is as safe as a band leader who laughs at Jay Leno's jokes. Why are we allowing this woman to sit on powerful committees and just impeach everyone on Capitol Hill she doesn't like with because she wants to get coverage for that night on Fox News? You know her impeachments are going to go Nowhere. This Republican Party tried to overthrow the U.S. government on January 6th. Okay, and now they're still going to work every day, even though they did that. And our media is the force that normalizes this. But but you know what? I got to tell you, though, as fun as Marge is, I, I can't help but think maybe just maybe there's someone in D.C. thirstier. Could that be Jim Jordan? Uh, I don't know if you've been following Jim. But um, the long-awaited John Durham report finally came out. We talked about it. The investigation of the investigation into the origins of the Russia probe was finally released after four long years on Monday. Mueller's investigation only took two years. Mueller's investigation sent lots of people to jail. Mueller's investigation made money because of the assets seized. Actually, the American taxpayer made a profit on the Mueller investigation. This was seven million down the tubes. And nothing. And the report came out with no recommendations, no indictments, because no one broke any laws. And that's why the right wing is insisting that it says something that it doesn't. During his show committee today on the weaponization of the federal government, listen to Rep. Jim Jordan offering his interpretation of the Durham report. Politics is driving the agenda in federal agencies. You don't believe Politics me, is why your committee Durham exists. From three days ago. No probable cause. No predicate, no evidence whatsoever, but the FBI opened a case, took a dossier, a dossier they knew was false, from a political campaign, from the Clinton campaign, to spy on a presidential candidate and American citizens. Here's the key line from the Durham report. <laughs> That's not what it Quote, said. the FBI failed to uphold their mission of fidelity to the law. They didn't follow the law. 
didn't have probable cause or evidence to do what they did. An agency focused on politics. Mm. But I would argue today it's even worse. Because today it's not just presidential campaigns. Today it's the American people. They're the target. Yeah. So here's where I have to remind you, unfortunately, and I hate to do this, but y'all probably know it already. The FBI was not charged with any crimes. John Durham did not recommend any prosecutions. There were no laws broken by the FBI. In reality, the FBI was investigating both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And the FBI announced just before the election that they were investigating Hillary Clinton. Jim Jordan knows this is bogus. Again, he's just trying to get video that will air on Fox. Democrats can't wait for John Durham to testify. I can't wait. Please, please bring John Durham in front of the committee and let everyone, Democrat and Republican, ask him questions about the integrity of his investigation. Congressman Daniel Goldman said, I'm on the weaponization of the federal government subcommittee that Jim Jordan is the chairman of. Let's bring John Durham in because he is the number one example of the weaponization of the federal government. Democrats are trying to point out to Jim Jordan in this next clip that he was violating the committee's rules by not sharing testimony with them. This is an amazing clip, and you may have seen this one on the news. Jim Jordan's talking about these whistleblowers they have, multiple whistleblowers. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of the whistleblowers are apparently people who are being paid by Republicans. And uh, normally you would share this information with all of your committee. Uh, However, they're choosing not to do it. There were a lot of great moments today. Debbie Wasserman Schultz went after him. Here is Congressman Daniel Goldman, who's a former impeachment manager. And this guy's a real rising star for the Democrats in the Congress. Here he is telling the gathered whistleblowers he was kind of disappointed in the lopsided information game that Jim Jordan's playing with this committee. What our concern with is not really at the bottom whether or not you are whistleblowers that's something that neither you can determine or mr levitt can determine or we can determine that's something that we understand is being adjudicated and ultimately could end up in court uh where the ultimate uh, determination would be our concern is that you all have met with the committee majority perhaps several times You have provided information, documents, testimony, um, and we're in the dark. And that's not how Congress works. That's not how committees work. And I'm sure, Mr. Levitt, you would agree with me that when you were on the Hill, that's not how things work. Boom. It was a really, really great moment. And again, at one point, Congressman Goldman had to say the whistleblowers don't set the policy for Congress. So Jim Jordan had a pretty thirsty day. I, I think we've got a whole lot of media whores there that we can make fun. But, you, but you know, I've, hmm. sorry, I can't help but think that maybe just maybe there's someone out there thirstier for attention, more reckless just to get noticed. Someone who would do anything, no matter how vile, to make himself more famous and popular than Jim Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene. Maybe someone who's going to officially declare their candidacy for president next week before a May 25th donor meeting where he will launch a fundraising blitz to try to be the anti-Trump, Trumpy Trump. Yes, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is the winner of this Thirsty Thursday. He's going to announce it. I mean, he's been running it since February with his little book tour, but he's going to file the paperwork next week. He's no longer going to be able to pretend anymore. I'm just focused on governing Florida. He can't. He actually got the law in the state changed that if you're the governor and you run for president, you can still be governor. 
<laughs> he told today on a phone call to top donors that out of the three credible candidates for 2024, him, Trump and Biden, only he and Biden have a chance of being elected. Now, this is, of course, the man who signed a six week abortion ban, who ended having to have a permit for your concealed weapon. That's going to be great in the next year and a half, who banned gender affirming care for trans youth, which is really popular with Republicans who a year ago, we're talking about how important it is to let parents have their say when it came to COVID safety protocols. <laughs> but of course, they didn't mean it. They don't mean anything. These are the folks who talk about liberty and freedom. Not you, trans person. Not you, woman who wants to terminate a pregnancy. Not you, guy who wants to smoke weed. Yes, you, guy with a lot of guns. Not you, drag show. He restricted drag shows. He expanded the don't say gay law. This is the man who blocked AP African-American studies. This is the guy. He's going to be on a cover story in Time magazine next week, talking all about what he's done and how great he is. And the thing is, any post-launch honeymoon for Rhonda is going to be over really, really quick. Because Disney announced today that they are abandoning plans to open up their new employee campus in Lake Nona, Florida, amidst all of the tensions and lawsuits back and forth with Ron DeSantis. The company's not going to move forward with construction of the campus they've been planning. They will no longer be asking more than 2,000 California-based employees to relocate to Florida. Think about that. Think about how bad this guy's policies are hurting his state. His anti-business policies where he thinks the government should be allowed to tell parents how to raise their children, where he thinks government should be allowed to tell parents what kind of medical care their children should have, Ron DeSantis thinks the government should be allowed to punish private corporations for free speech and for not being as anti-gay as he is. Disney just pulled a plug on a $1 billion office complex in Orlando. And by the way, it's not just the $1 billion office complex. This would have created more than 2,000 new jobs in Florida with an average salary of $120,000. 2,000 people living in the state, making six figures, spending money, paying taxes, stimulating the economy. It's gone. Disney has criticized DeSantis's action against them as anti-business because they are, because DeSantis cannot stop weaponizing the government against a private corporation because they accept the LGBTQ community. I mean, Bob Iger was on a, a, a earnings-related conference call with some analysts last week, and he said, does the state want us to invest more, employ more people, and pay more taxes, or not? Folks, I don't say this often. Disney CEO Bob Iger was not fucking around on that conference call. And that's a sentence I never thought I'd say. But again, this is a day after DeSantis signed the anti-trans bathroom bill. Adults in Florida can now be criminally charged if they don't use the bathroom that matches the sex they were assigned at birth. Because any Yahoo's allowed to chase you into a bathroom and harass you and call the cops on you for relieving yourself. This is the part where I remind you, more Republican senators have been arrested for inappropriate behavior in public restrooms than trans women and trans men. <laughs> I posted a big picture of a bunch of trans guys last week with their shirts off. Uh, I can't wait for DeSantis to start forcing those men to use ladies rooms. You know, <laughs> right now, uh, writers group Pen America and the publisher Penguin Random House, they just announced they're suing the Florida school district for removing books about race and LGBTQ identity. The lawsuit doesn't name DeSantis, but it's all about his policies. He's going to go down as a book banner, folks. The ads are already written. Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump are writing all the opposition research for 
400-year-old Joe Biden for a year from now. And again, as it looks like DeSantis might not be able to beat Trump, the field is getting more crowded. You got Glenn Youngkin with his weird little, I'm not running, but here's the ad about me. Chris Christie just got endorsed by Anthony Scaramucci. And when I'm done laughing, I'll, I'll tell you, I think Chris Christie will do really well this time. Uh, Governor uh, Burgum of North Dakota, not very well known, but he's probably going to run as well. And then there's Trump, who is so committed to crushing Ron DeSantis like it's his children's heart. (laughs) Trump is going to do everything he can. His super PAC is spending more than 12 million to attack DeSantis in just the last month and a half. So there's Ron with Disney canceling a billion dollar office employee campus. It's going to bring 2000 jobs to the area. But the state will decide, I guess, what opinions private corporations are allowed to hold. And that's the narrative. And that's the narrative Democrats have to hang on to. Telling parents of trans kids how they can and can't raise their children. Do you remember when these soulish, selfish jerk-offs were screaming about parental rights during COVID? Remember Ron DeSantis saying, you can't make a child wear a mask. That's for parents to decide. That's for parents to decide. Not about your kid's medical care. Well done, Ron. I'd expect nothing less from a guy who hates drag queens, but who secretly wears high heels. We want to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Let me go to David in Nevada. David, thank you for your patience on hold. Hello. Look there, John, the two serum. You can yeah. Say, look, it comes Hit down it. to this. You know, man, you didn't kick it before. Be Mussolini. He posts to sign the papers next week. He's not yeah. signing anything. <laughs> to my opinion, you can't, he can't run because the inmate is still running free. He hasn't been locked up. And that's Trump. <laughs> he can't. He can't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like right now his handlers is telling you straight up. Yeah. You can't go messing around. You already didn't fuck with Mickey Mouse, which didn't piss enough people off. I can't <laughs> wait for South Park to do the parody uh, uh, on South Park yeah, of Mickey let... Mouse putting his foot up around the Santa's Don't be so sure South Park's going to... I wouldn't... I, listen, I that's like waiting for Bob Dylan to write more political songs. Don't count on South Park to come to the rescue on this one, okay? They're often very libertarian. They don't always, they're always funny, but they're not always on the side of uh, liberal causes. True. But, you know, real quick, because I know you got a ton of callers there, Brother John. That's okay, man. Tucker Carlson, real quick. Yeah, tell me. This is what happened. Hitler had Joseph Goebbels. Trump had Tucker Carlson and the GOP had Tucker Carlson. It's yeah. over now. Except the they only difference is Joseph the only Goebbels. difference is Hitler was Hitler was always more powerful than his propaganda machine. I don't know if the Republican Party is more powerful than Fox News. Well, see, but you got to remember, Rupert Murdoch has basically kicked Trump to the curb. Yeah, very He's true. Done with Trump. Well, see, but you think you think I if Rupert Murdoch offers Donald Trump a primetime dick stroking uh, ceremony like CNN did last week, that Trump was not going to show up and do it? Believe me, Fox will do it for the ratings. Fox will do it to try to win viewers back to Newsmax. They lost when they dropped Tucker and Trump will show up because he doesn't yeah. care. Right. Trump can show up. But, you know, to me, Rupert Murdoch has, has slapped him. 
My oh, baby, yeah. no, you don't, you don't come around here. I'm Rupert Murdoch. You remember uh, <laughs> back in the day when Dave Chappelle did the, the Rick James skit? Yes, I I'm do. Rick James, bitch. That's what Rupert Murdoch did to Trump. <laughs> bitch, I'm Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, I know. But again, let's not forget Rupert Murdoch doesn't believe in anything either. When Rupert Murdoch needs to make money off of Trump again, he'll do it. Trump cost Rupert Murdoch uh, money because of his lies and his anchors pushing the lies. But Rupert Murdoch believes nothing. And Rupert Murdoch might hate Trump, but that doesn't matter. Most people who work with Trump hate Trump. Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, they all hate Trump, but they're going to use him for themselves. And believe me, Fox will continue to do that until they've used him up. And that will be beautiful watching someone treat Trump the way Trump has treated every woman, every worker, every person he's ever had an interaction with. Yep. And that is so true. That is why you are the true serum for people saying. Oh, God bless you, David. Taking my call. Thank you, sir. And one last quick one. Everybody out there. Yes. Make your make it your slogan. Four more years four more justices. Right. Oh, I like that. All right, man. I'm with you. (laughs) I can think of the first four I want to fire or just hire new ones. Uh, Listen, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, more of your calls and Professor Corey Bretschneider is here. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny has premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. The reviews are already coming online. Mm. We'll be right back. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions have honest conversations, just keeping it real and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. And welcome back. Professor Corey Bretschneider has been writing incredibly sharp analysis of our politics for years in Politico, The New York Times, Time Magazine. He teaches poli-sci 
at Brown University. You should own his book, The Oath in the Office, A Guide to the Constitution for Future Presidents. It is a textbook for all things civic. It's great. And of course, check out his Penguin Liberty Series books on free speech, impeachment, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg's notable cases. We are always thrilled to bring you another installment of Barely Legal with Corey Brett Schneider. <laughs> That's not the name of the segment, but I'm going to call it that anyway. Welcome, <laughs> Professor. Thanks, John. I'm still laughing at that joke. So, uh, you know, jokes, jokes get better with, with time. <laughs> well, that's good, because if you're time. dealing with me, I'll repeat it for many, many years, thousands <laughs> of times. So I'm glad to hear it. Corey, before we even jump into everything tonight, uh, did, did you yes. hear what Neil Gorsuch just said today, that, that COVID no. public health measures might have been the greatest peacetime intrusions on civil liberties in American oh, history? I mean, it's. It, it, I, I think it's probably a good thing that he's never heard of slavery or segregation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the greatest I mean, peacetime you know, intrusions on you, civil liberty. <laughs> shows you the extremism, the idea that we had to stay inside and wear masks, uh, and the countless lives that were probably saved by it. To to him, it, you know, it inconvenienced him, and he thinks that's the same. <laughs> yeah, some of the most serious, true violations of civil liberties that he's indifferent to, and. You know, it's this um, arrogance of, of the Supreme Court, which is revealing itself more and more not to be a court of law, but one of, uh, you know, a really pernicious form of politics. I agree. I mean, today, of course, we saw the case uh, 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis reach the Supreme Court, which is all about this evangelical Christian graphic artist woman from Colorado who has never actually had to create a wedding website for same-sex couples. <laughs> but she went ahead and decided to bring a case to the Supreme Court anyway because the state has an anti-discrimination law and she's well-funded by bigoted douchebags. What, what can you tell us, Professor, about this case? It just, the woman's never, she's never been asked to make a gay wedding website ever. And, and as far as I know, Jesus never comes out against making a gay wedding website, but she's saying that that doesn't matter. This is the vehicle the right wants to use to strip rights away from LGBTP people. Is that how it's working? Yeah, I got to say, John, you know, it's so refreshing to talk to you in the classroom. I feel this need to be objective and, and show both sides. <laughs> and dignified and talk like an adult. Actually, Not here, sir. As you were saying that, that great intro to the case, I thought to myself, if only I could say that <laughs> in my... <laughs> In my classrooms at, you know, at Brown, I'm teaching this semester at Fordham Law School. That would really cause a shockwave <laughs> so through the, the lives of law students. And yet it is so accurate in, in depicting this, in particular the thing that you emphasize, that it's not that she's been uh, told that she has to even serve <laughs> right? a gay couple that wants to get married or make a website for them. It's that she's really engaged in this kind of supposedly worry that this could happen to her. And it's like, well, we're, there's usually a, a doctrine of ripeness, meaning there's an actual case, you know, and, and right, here, yeah, uh, usually. I'm not convinced there is. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, but yet, you know, when you have a court, it does go back to our intro, introductory remarks when you have a court that's so ideological and so devoted to, well, let's just be blunt about it, to rolling back gay rights in favor of so-called religious freedom, and I don't think it is religious freedom. I think it's, it's bigotry, as you say. Uh, they're going to go for what they can to achieve their agenda. They have the ability to pick what cases they want, and they grab this one because they see 
uh, it's a way to do that. This isn't a case, I should say, too, about religious freedom, although she, she claimed it was. that They decided to not decide the religious freedom issue this time and to instead focus on the free speech issue, which in some ways is even more worrying because it takes what's supposedly the right to have bigoted opinions, which you do have the, you don't, shouldn't go to jail if you are a bigot or have bigoted opinions that you, that mm-hmm. you, that you, you know, say at the dinner table. Uh, no question about that. But to take that and to try to bring that argument into the realm of business to really make safe the yeah. idea of bigotry. And, you know, I think one way to just get into this for listeners is to go back to history. And this argument was made by Southern segregationists who in 1964, when hotels and restaurants were told that they had to integrate, they said, well, what if my business, Ollie's Barbecue, is devoted to white supremacy? Uh, or Heart of Atlanta Motel was the other location, devoted a hotel mm-hmm. devoted to whites only. And, you know, the court rightly said very clearly, I don't think so, that in America, you know, if you want to open a business, you have to serve everyone regardless of race. And uh, the rollback here, I worry, isn't just to try to make bigotry business safe for anti-gay bigotry, but to, for bigotry, period. That's that's unfortunately what might be on the table here. I think you're exactly right. Lum, you know, I wanted to bring up just to be play devil's advocate. I mean, Alito. Mm imagined uh, a company that offered to write custom wedding vows or toasts being asked to do this. And he said, can they be forced to write vows or speeches that espouse things they loathe? Is that a fair question? Mm -hmm. I think it is. And I do think that there is a real kind of interesting question. And the classroom might be less blunt probably about my, I I would be less blunt about my (laughs) conclusions and try to build up the other side (laughs) through exactly that argument. So in the cake case, it was a stretch that like, oh, my free expression and making cakes is somehow being violated because I have to <laughs> make a cake for a gay couple. That, that's not really about your ideas. It's about cake making. And I, I don't see how having to provide a service for a gay couple infringes on your free speech. Yeah. But here what they're saying is websites have lots of messages on them and a gay wedding is going to have a celebration of gay wedding. So it's compelling the website maker to say these praise, say this praise of of gay couples. But I mean, here's the problem for me. Here's my response to that. That's not what's happening. The, The website is for the owner of the website. The website owner isn't like, hi, I'm the website owner and I love gay people. That's not what you're compelled to do. <laughs> right. You're, you're compelled to serve a gay couple that wants to say what their message is. And that's very different, I think, than compelling speech of the owner, this woman, uh, the owner of the company. I got to say, Sonia Sotomayor is just so on fire on this. She she at one point was talking about the lawyer from uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom that's representing this woman, Ms. Smith. Um, that That's who's really behind this. The Alliance Defending Freedom wants to gut marriage equality. So they took this bullshit case with this woman who's never been abused by anyone and has no grievances to redress. And they just said, hey, imagine in you know, the future crime, it's minority report and, you know, pre-crime unit, you're going to have this happen to you. Let's do. Right. Uh, Sonia Sotomayor brought up in the past, you could have a restaurant owner who tried to only serve black customers from a takeout window because he said yep. his religious beliefs didn't allow for integration. And she said, what you're saying is, I want to give gay couples a limited menu, not a full menu, 
just the way that luncheonette said. And she said this would be the first time in the court's history that it allowed a commercial business open to the public to say they could refuse to serve a customer based on race, sex, religion, or sexual orientation. Yeah, and she's making there the the point that that I was expressing uh, in our last exchange that, you know, we've been here. We've considered these arguments. Southern segregationists said the same thing. I have a free speech right to not serve black people. My restaurant is about white supremacy or anti-blackness or segregation or separation, whatever it is. And to my mind, we settled this question in the 1960s when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was upheld. And Mm -hmm. what that case stood for, in part, was the idea that serving somebody in a restaurant, allowing them to stay in your hotel, is not the same as not the same as your opinion it's it's a yeah. service and creating a website for someone is a service it's not a matter of uh stating your opinion on the website and in fact think of web how many websites have you seen where the developer's ideas are somehow front and center it's the you know the business is what's being uh exposed um so you know imagine a, a sign company uh, that made signs for people for retail stores and didn't want right. to serve gay people because somehow they were worried that they would be complicit in the sign. Nobody thinks the sign maker is sending the message of the store if it it has a say um, uh, a gay allusion to to gay couples or something, and it's a store that serves gay couples. Uh, no, the the store sign is for the owners of the store, and so I think that's the response here that this isn't about the developer at all. Um, yeah. You know, so kind of, it's got a narcissistic element actually to it, that somehow by making the website, your own views are uh, being expressed here. Exactly right. I mean, so you would say this is not a, a compelled speech case because the Supreme Court, you know, declined to hear the claim that this violated her religious freedom. It's not a religious freedom right. case. You know, the question is, whether applying the public accommodation law to compel an artist to speak or stay silent violates the free speech clause of the First Amendment. Yeah, and one way to see the difference, just to make it even starker for listeners, is, you know, there were these famous cases about the so-called flag salute, the the forced pledge of allegiance and salute of the flag. And what the court, in my mind, rightly said there is that's direct compelled speech. You're taking a kid and saying, you say these words. Put your hand up in a way that salutes the flag uh, that we demand. And if uh, someone for their political beliefs, their moral beliefs, their conscience didn't want to do that, they had to do it. And the court said, well, that's that's kind of a paradigm of violating freedom. One, one form of violating free speech is to put somebody in jail for their opinions, but another is to force them to say something. Now, is this the same? Is it making the cake maker say anything? No, of course not. It's uh, making her provide a service if she wants to be in business, by the way. Um, She doesn't even have to be in business. But if you want to be in business, provide the service for everyone that you're providing. And, uh, you know, what a business does is very different than uh, what, what someone believes in their mind. And certainly this is a very different situation from forcing somebody to salute the flag and, and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Can I just I want to get off this story in a second, but it's the weirdest Mm -hmm. moment of the whole day for me. Sam Alito, who might be serving on an outpatient basis, who brought up this hypothetical of a black Santa in a mall 
who wanted the freedom to refuse a photograph to a child wearing a KKK outfit. Yes. And the Colorado Solicitor General, Eric Olson, said kids wearing KKK outfits aren't protected under law because it's about race, sexual orientation, creed, color, sex, marital status, national origin or ancestry. Well, I think, you know, unfortunately, that that's what you're going to hear. And that's an argument that's deep in the conservative set of beliefs right now that, OK, it's one thing when we're talking about the rights of people to be free from racial discrimination, maybe even gender discrimination. But when it comes to gay people, they have no rights. And, you know, let's remember that not too long ago, conservatives were, and maybe they still are saying this, not just that they were against the right to gay marriage, but that they were for the ability of the state to put people in jail for right. gay sex. And right. Justice Scalia in the Bowers versus Hardwick opinion said exactly that. He was reversed later in Lawrence versus Texas. Uh, but we're, we're not we're only talking a, a short period of time ago, the 1980s, in which gay sex was criminalized in much of the United States. And, and if you don't uh, want, I think if that's you don't the want... kind of thing we're dealing with. I think you're exactly right. And as always, we always say this. If you don't want men having sex with men, put them in prisons. Uh, Corey, let me shift really quick over to the other story at the Supreme <laughs> Court today. That's another thing I wish I could say in class. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say I don't have tenure. You do. So I think you win. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Supreme Court passed up a, a chance today to uh, to clarify uh, the liability shield that is known as Section 230. It protects Internet companies from most legal claims over the content the users post. They had a couple of rulings, and the justices rejected lawsuits that were trying to hold tech platforms like Google and Twitter liable for any content on their platforms that promoted terrorism. This is, a, this is an, important, uh, an important non-ruling today, isn't it? Uh, it is. It, it preserves, basically, the status quo, which is that we have this bizarre rule that was created um, in the infancy of these companies uh, to allow them to develop and not get quashed by lawsuits that now protects the most powerful companies in the world, <laughs> wealthiest companies, from really any liability, no matter how much damage they cause. Now, in this specific case, the argument had to do with whether or not there was liability for things posted on Twitter was one of the cases that arguably, this was the argument, resulted in the terrorist attack and massive losses. Yeah. Um, and the argument of the court basically in the Twitter case was, well, it's very hard to prove that causation. So they really sidestepped the deeper issue. But the deeper issue, I think, is one I hope that we eventually see the court take up. And it's that the idea that somehow these are passive you know, bulletin boards that people are posting on is, is a lie, that what's going on is the social media companies, including Twitter, are promoting some ideas and not others. And right. in, we sort of know this from using Twitter. Uh, they do promote incitement sometimes to violence. They do promote ideas that wind up resulting in massive destruction. And the simple point to me, which I agree with, is if they're doing that, and you can show that, that that's what the algorithms are actually doing, not that there's some guy doing it, but the right. algorithms are designed that way. There should be liability when they cause harm. I yeah. think, you know, 230 is r ridiculous. Like, if they're liable, they're liable. Let them, they're the most powerful, wealthiest companies in the world with the best lawyers. Let them argue that um, there's no liability. We shouldn't have a total shield for them.
But if let, let's just say, you know, our show has an excellent Facebook page. Uh, I think it's 11,000 mm-hmm. followers. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. You guys should follow it. Um, we post a lot of pictures. We post all of our all of our uh, celebrity guests and our our comedian guests. And we post our set list of all the music we play. It's it's a cute little Facebook page. If someone posts mm-hmm. Nazi terrorist content in the comments section after one of the photos or, or, or jokes we post, I don't think I should be liable for it. And I know Facebook doesn't think they should be liable for it. And essentially, Section 30 just, you know, is already there to say that these tech companies can't be sued for potentially helping terrorist groups carry out attacks. I think that would be a reasonable way to interpret it and to design the law. But unfortunately, my my understanding is it's much more of a shield than that. It really emphasizes almost total immunity for these companies for content that's posted. Now, if it's passive like that, it's on your page and it's a comment that's sort of buried and somebody reacts, I could see the argument that says there's no liability. But now here's the argument that these plaintiffs are making that I think is fascinating. What they claim to have shown, and let's just imagine that did show this, is that when Twitter engineers and now Musk are figuring out what do they want to promote, move forward and what do they want to hide the thing that they often promote is stuff that promotes violence that incentivizes you know reactions and if that's true and if they could show that and they claim they can uh i think then that suggests that it isn't passive posting it's that they're doing something they're promoting the violence that's the argument Right. When Joe Biden was running for president, he said Facebook's not merely an Internet company. And he called for Section 230 to be repealed. But it seems like the right wing doesn't like it because they think that the constant right wing argument that it allows tech companies to censor speech. Once again, Professor, that's not possible, right? A tech company is a private platform. They're not censoring anybody. They have control over what goes on their platforms, don't they? That, that's right. And in fact, they have an obligation. I mean, in a way, it's, it's even stronger than that because they have an obligation to prevent violence. And far from having a right to incite violence, uh, no one has a free speech right to incite violence and companies have an obligation to prevent it. But they certainly have an obligation themselves not to promote the tweets that are inciting violence. And the accusation mm-hmm. here is that that's not how it works, that these companies make money from engagement. And so they are promoting the tweets that are incentivizing, that are inciting violence. And to my mind, that's a straightforward argument. It's, you know, your website is actively doing something that's going to cause major harm to people, loss of life in some instances. And if that's true, now there's a lot of ifs. You've got to show that. But if you could show it, I think, yes, a jury should be free to say, hey, uh, Twitter, hey, Facebook, uh, you promoted violence, you caused the death, you're going to pay. And now that it's the case that there's so much immunity that we're prevented, even in that circumstance, from finding liability. Professor Corey Bretschneider, you are consistently the smartest guy in class because that's you spend a lot of time in front of classrooms. Everyone follow <laughs> Professor Bretschneider at Bretschneider C on the Twitter, which still exists. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, John. What a pleasure. Have a great one. We'll talk to you soon, and we'll be right back to talk to you guys after this. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. 
Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. I'm John Fugel saying this is progress after dark. Let's go to the phones. Huh? Stephen in Kentucky, we wanted to have you last night, and I'm so sorry we didn't get to talk to you. How are you, Stephen? Whoa, what's I'm going on here? Right Welcome now. back. Hi, Stephen. I, um, I'm calling. I know um, I wanted to mention we're kind of going through something in my city tonight. We have um, an escaped convict who broke mm. out this morning, and uh, they haven't caught him yet. And I'm just praying that they do before somebody gets hurt. He already took two hostages earlier today. Oh, really? And uh, so I just, oh, it's just, it, it, and it, he wasn't very far from my home either. So you wow. can just imagine, you know, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to say, has he, has he been appointed to uh, the Republican legislature yet in your state? Well, apparently so, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I called one of uh, the legislators today, and I said, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I said, you all sit there and want to talk about the carte blanche for the Second Amendment. And I said, the fact is, this violent offender, this lunatic, would not even be, he wouldn't have access to all this if these people wouldn't make it so readily available to them, you know. But yeah. oh, that's what they call law and order, you know, of course. But uh, they can fuck their law and order as far as I'm concerned at this <laughs> point, because I tell you, they have blood in their hands. If somebody yeah. ends up getting, they've already had two hostages this afternoon that, he, that got away. And my understanding is this guy, this, this guy, he, he was he was being transported. And while they yes, were transporting he him, he, he, he escaped from the cops and then kidnapped a couple of people and forced them to drive him to another location. They're still they're still looking for this oh, guy. Yeah, from what I gather. See, I found out about this in the afternoon around midday. I did. And apparently this happened, I guess, at eight or nine in the morning. That's what I was told later on by one of my contacts. They told me that uh, it, this all had transpired earlier in the daytime it had. But, yeah. um, oh, I just, I don't know. I need some volume or something <laughs> after that experience. But I also wanted to... But again, we, we, we should point out, though, the people he kidnapped are okay now. He got in a car with a couple people, made them drive him someplace. His name is Norman Wolf, by the way, ladies. We don't know if he's single yet or not. Um, he's, he's charged with burglary and fleeing and evading police in possession of a handgun. So... His life's going to be very interesting. Do you think they're going to they're going to get him? Well, he didn't hurt anyone. I want to point that out as well. Soprano Apparently, he... in prison. What's that? Hopefully, he'll be seeing Soprano in prison. You know, once they no. get a hold of him, I hope that he does at least at this point. You know, I just hope that they get him off the streets. Yeah, um, they before... think he escaped through a window, and I almost kind of respect that. Whenever someone can do that while they're being transported, I. I... He's made well, it several I, I hours. I also wanted to mention, before I uh, go on, John, uh, you mentioned something about Abraham Lincoln, the, the presidency today, uh, him yes. winning the presidency back in 1860. Yes. Uh, you know, 
I was thinking of something just a moment ago. Mary Serrault. Have you ever heard about her? Was she the woman who ran the boarding house where the plotters uh, planned their assassination? Yes, and you know, about yeah. 20 Robin years Wright ago, played her in the Redford movie. People magazine actually did a story about this that her apparition apparently was in that prison where they were they held her captive, you know, before she was hung. She was the only woman actually hung for that. Yes, she and, was. And there were many people at the time who said she shouldn't be hung because she was a woman. Well, you know, I was always confused about whether or not she was actually involved or was she, whether she wasn't. It was hatched in her boarding home. Yeah, she might have had an idea. She but knew. I was, was, she, no, she, she, I mean, Robert Redford made a movie about her that was very, very sympathetic, but she mm -hmm. knew. Oh, she did. Okay, I was never. I was never really. I know she'd be two hundred years old this year. I remember that because she was actually forty-two when she died. So, eighteen twenty-three. So it'd be twenty two hundred years this year. I, I, I guess she wouldn't look very happy now. Obviously, after <laughs> all of that. But I again, also, I mean, she 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 knew John Wilkes Booth. John Wilkes Booth gave her a package that had binoculars. He gave her another package that contained guns. Like she she knew what was going on. She was arrested. She was tried by a military tribunal. I'm against the death penalty for everybody, as you know. But uh, she was the first woman ever executed by the federal government. We don't know how much she knew. but And Robert Redford's movie makes it seem like she was a real victim in all of it. But um, it seems well, Mary, like she did. Well, Mary Todd Lincoln was always a fascination to me, you know, as one of the first ladies. That woman really got such a bad rap. Mrs. Lincoln was just ahead of her time, just like Eleanor Roosevelt was. They were both very different women, but they both they obviously were. challenged the status quo. And Mary Todd Lincoln, you know, they always said today they think she had uh, bipolar disorder, and they think she also suffered from menopause, and she was diabetic, yes. I believe, too. I think yes. that they had said years later. But she and she lost a child, like her child, her child died in the White House. I mean, she had a pretty rough time of it all. I, I actually think Spielberg's movie with Sally Field as Mary Todd Lincoln was incredibly sympathetic to her. Wasn't she also well, very short? She was also highly intelligent. She was uh, she was very interested in astrology. I know, mm. and she warned him about going. I mean, she she had his chart done, you know. And uh, I always found it fascinating. You know, she was sixty four when she died, same age as Jacqueline Kennedy, and they always said that there were so many similarities between Kennedy and Lincoln. Yes, and his secretary's name was Lincoln, Mrs. Lincoln. That's right. I oh, I love all those. Secretary. Yes. And then uh, I believe that um, Lincoln's secretary was Kennedy, I believe. I think they, they <laughs> I, I may be wrong about that. No, you're right. No, no. I, when I was a kid, I got my first copy of the Lincoln-Kennedy coincidence, and it blew my mind. It's amazing, and it's fun. And Father Guido Sarducci does the funniest sketch of it ever. He he, he does the entire thing in Italian. He, he does the Kennedy-Lincoln coincidenza. And then he moves on into the Carter Coolidge coincidenza. He does the entire well, you know, act in Italian. One of the things I always liked about her is, uh, you know, she was one of those ones that used to use her sex appeal to get him to do certain things, to get him to appoint certain people to office, and she, and she used to do that actually every now and then. But I tell you, Edith Wilson always also was like that. I know uh, she. I don't know if you ever heard the. It, back in uh, 1916, when Edith Wilson and Woodrow Wilson were, or Edith Bowling Galt, rather, and Woodrow yes. Wilson were engaged to be married, the Washington Post put in their ad, the headline, um, President spends evening entering Mrs. Galt instead of entertaining Mrs. Galt. And oh, that's funny. Edith used, Edith used to, well, Edith Wilson was, 
I was fast. Yes, she was a racist. She was, but she was also well. Her husband was too. Of American, she was kind to Pocahontas, and she was actually, I believe, five nine. She was one of our tallest first ladies. Very Rubenesque is the way they described her. Well, and also just a, actually, a fascinating, a fascinating person as well, because you could argue, you could argue that she was sort of our first acting female president after her husband had the stroke. Well, she, she. I think what had happened was. That she was, she yes, she hired and fired people. She, she didn't like the one. She didn't like some of the men around him. Some of it was based on anti-Catholicism that she didn't like. Um, Edith Edith was very articulate too. I've read her book, and you know she used terms like virago, for instance. She this is a woman who did not have much formal education, but she was also. You know, believe it or not, she was the first woman to own her own car in D.C. I did not. I, I don't know Galt's that. She owned department store, which actually was like the Tiffany's at that time. And she used mm. to love these Worth gowns, you know, the Worth gowns from France. She did. She had exquisite taste. They're making a movie about her life right now. What's fascinating is that when her husband, the president, had his stroke, you know this, Stephen, he couldn't speak. He was incapacitated. He mm-hmm. was confined to his bed. And Edith Wilson would go to the door and talk to the cabinet, and they would ask questions, she would go in and work as the intermediary between her incapacitated husband and the cabinet. So she was really running the country. One Whatever of my she said. stories about her, John, yeah. was uh, when Harding was elected, Edith, you know, had the first, the, the outgoing shows the incoming first lady of the White House. Well, Florence Harding was really a kook. She was. She was so common, too. You know, she was really trash, just like her husband was. Well, and Edith Wilson knew this, too. And Mrs. Wilson, being the Southern Belle, you know, she showed her around and escorted her around in that. And then later on, she had mentioned she wore so much ruse. Well, I would I would put this interpretation on it, that she wore so much ruse she looked like Miss Piggy. Because the fact is, uh, you know, Florence Harding used to wear a black ribbon around her neck to hide her wrinkles. And she killed that. her husband, you know, uh, Warren no, she Harding. Didn't. You know, no, she I don't know didn't. If ever heard no, she didn't that, kill her rumors. husband. No, she did not kill oh, her I husband. Oh, I believe she did, Johnny. You know why no. I believe she did? Actually, I, I had no idea we'd be talking about dead first ladies like this. But go on. How did she kill her husband well i'm gonna tell you honey why she killed i believe why she killed him first i know why no 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 no. she had motive he he fathered a child out of wedlock he was he was was screwing his mistress in the white house coat room i mean he was a bad guy and he died by the way a hundred years ago this summer well florence harding it went further than that with her though dear florence harding actually in 1920 uh, at the Republican National Convention, and I'm not sure where it was, but I did read about this. She, she, you know those old-fashioned hat pins you, women used to wear all the time. That's all I talk about. Hats. Yes, she wore those, and it, she was up in the box listening to her husband being nominated. Now, Mrs. Harding was also for astrology. She used to go to an astrologer, and Madame Marcia, who was the astrologer, <laughs> told her her husband would be elected and that right. he would die in office. And, and he was a crook, by the way. We should point that out. He was the, our most corrupt president for many, many years. He has, of course, been swiftly overtaken in the last few. But, okay, go ahead. i gotta, I got to move on to other calls. So really quick, Stephen, okay. let's wrap it up. Okay. But what happened is when she heard the name, his name being, she, his two associates were right next to her. She took those two hat pins that she had in her hands and she stabbed both of those two men in the shins with those. And I kid you not, that was a true story. And she she had a violent. T- she was very. And by the way, 
when he died in the White House, when she was next to him, she mentioned there was Elizabeth Jaffrey, the housekeeper, heard her say this, nobody can hurt you now, Warren. And she was the only one in the room with him besides the homeopath. And guess mm. what? The homeopath died several months later. And guess who was in the room with him when he died? Florence Harding. Well, and there you she go. She died several months later. And before she died, <laughs> let me point this out. Yes. She, uh, she actually burned all of his papers at Evelyn, uh, the woman who owned the Hope Diamond. She stayed there at okay. her home after she left the White House. This was in August when she was burning those documents. She is as corrupted to the core as he is. She I, is. I, 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 I'm with you. I just, I just want to say that Warren Harding was in very poor health. Okay, he was, he was thinking about running That's for a second true. term. He'd gone out to the he'd gone out to the West Coast. I can't believe we're having this conversation. Well, but maybe witnesses she gave say boost. witnesses maybe say he didn't look well during the trip. His his doctors were worried about his health and tried to talk mm-hmm. about of going to San Francisco at the time. Um, oh, yeah. And and they think they thought at the time he died of a stroke. But over the years, they've said it was heart disease. He had a heart attack. He was fifty seven. He had a lot of cardiac problems. His wife didn't. His but his wife didn't want an autopsy. His wife didn't want an autopsy, and that's why there's all these rumors for a hundred years. Well, she she put the fruit in fruitcake. She did. That woman did. Because, like I said, I'm not saying she didn't. I'm just saying I don't think she. Another time, but I tell you what. Yeah, I know a little bit about this woman. I've studied. I can tell you do. You know more than me. All right, I gotta I I gotta go. But everyone should look up Warren Harding. He was a cretin, and he he knocked up his girlfriend in the White House. Oh, he did. Yes, he did. Nan Britton. It's very Thank famous. Bedroom Bossa Nova in the White House closet. And by, this is all Teapot Dome. If he hadn't died in office, I do think he probably would have been impeached. But I got to go, Stephen. I'm enjoying okay, this. But I, I, I thank you very much. Quick break. When we come back, more of your calls. And I thought he was calling to talk about stuff that happened, you know, this week, this century. But no, Stephen wanted to talk about Warren Harding's wife. He's my favorite. He's my favorite new presidential historian. (laughs) He's my favorite presidential. I want to put him and Ken Davis in a room. Let him go at it. Our 28th and 29th presidents. Jesus, I'm glad we stopped him before he got to Coolidge. I don't want to know about his wife. All right, quick break. Eat eat your heart outdoors, Kearns Goodwin. (laughs) I swear to God, I want to make him our official historian. When we come back, your calls at 866-997-4748. And Dr. Jason Nichols is with us. This is Progress. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Thank you. 
Welcome back. I'm always thrilled whenever we can get Dr. Jason Nichols to join us. He's an award-winning full-time senior lecturer in the African-American Studies Department at the University of Maryland in College Park. He's one of the sharpest talkers about politics out there. You may have read him in The Guardian or seen him on Al Jazeera, Fox News. He's dynamite, whether he's on Newsmax or MSNBC. This guy goes toe-to-toe with these right-wing media muppets and always comes out uh, having the most dignity, which, which, which shouldn't be hard, but it's harder than you'd think. Dr. Jason Nichols, welcome back to Serious XM. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, John. It's great being here every Thursday. I love it. How's the how's life going toiling in the salt mines of Newsmax? Any adventures <laughs> lately? Because you've been. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, please. I mean, it's it's been fun. You know, um, I love it when we get to actually talk like politics. We do a lot of talking about Bud Light. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. You know, uh, which. You know, and, and I'm not I'm not criticizing anybody, but, you know, when we no, you, you can, it's OK. <laughs> when we talk like real politics and have these kinds of conversations, they're fun. And, um, you know, and and let it, it, it obviously I'm you know, it's four on one every time. But every you know, I know I've been there. Honest conversations. It's good. Um, you know, you're very generous. You're much nicer than you're much more diplomatic than I would be. I've done Fox in these shows many, many. I've been ganged up on many, many times on Dennis Miller on Fox and Friends. Go, go ahead. You're, you're doing you're being you're doing a great job. Being very fair <laughs> yeah, I mean, and balanced, Jason. Fair and balanced. Go ahead. <laughs> so it was like funny, like the other day I, I had they had uh, Mark Morgan on, who's a former head of CBP under Trump. And, uh, you know, we had this discussion where I, you know, I just stated I I actually I thought I was about as generous to the right as you possibly could be, because that you were. (laughs) I I basically said I was like, look, I think the federal government and I think uh, the Biden administration should help New York City, you know, because New York City is, is struggling with housing the migrants and. You know, it's it's been an issue. And I and I hope that the federal government steps in when we look at the border. We look at, you know, first it was 10,000 a day and then it was 6,000 and then it was 4,000. And now it's fewer than 4,000. And, you know, the CBP guy jumps in and is like, that's not true. You're lying. Those aren't the numbers. I'm like, those are the numbers on Newsmax.com. But, you know, he's like, no, those numbers are wrong. And I'm like. Thinking of myself, I didn't get a chance to say it because it just started, it it went haywire. But like thinking of myself, I'm like, you just gave the number, you gave a number for the amount of people that got away. How could you possibly know that? You know, but yet the numbers that the government is putting out and your former uh, employees are lying when they say the numbers of encounters that they're having. But at any rate, I mean, off camera, everybody's really nice. You know, we get along, you know, uh, well, when we're talking to each other's to each other like human beings. But of course, yeah, I know how it works. Yeah. Politically, it's, it's an interesting environment to be in. I just like it when we talk about like actual politics and not Bud Light. <laughs> well, I, but but I mean, but that is politics, right? Like that is what passes for the Republican Party politics. They're not going to come out and actually talk about what's in the Constitution or what's in the Bible. They're going to come out and say, can you believe Budweiser made a souvenir can for a trans chick? That's the entire essence of their grievance, that Budweiser gave a present 
to a trans influencer because it was smart capitalism reaching out to other audiences. Bud's been putting parade floats and LBGT pride parades for decades now. It's part of their business model. It's reaching out to younger people. That's all this is about. They they didn't they they made a fake beer can and gave it as a gift. And for that, we have two months of 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 jerk off Kid Rock using an AK-47 on cases of Bud Light in his yard. Like it's pure politics, Jason. That's what the GOP yeah. does. It's not about policy. It's about how are we going to get these low information white people angry enough to come vote to give rich guys a tax cut again? Yeah, no, absolutely. And we look at. Uh, you know, Ted Cruz is now trying to accuse Bud Light of uh, trying to target minors by having Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, and and the, you suddenly know, they care. Suddenly they care about young people being targeted in beer ads. Right. And they're and they're I think their argument is Dylan Mulvaney is 26. And I'm like, how old were all those girls in bikinis that, you know, in the beer ads that you Thank ignored you. or you're angry that they're taking away those uh, women in bikini for the bikinis for the beer ads? Um, it's, it's just kind of ridiculous. You know, I think that there are policy issues we could be talking to, particularly, you know, when we have people like congressmen on and all that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I, I rather than, you know, but like, I mean, I I get what you're saying, but it's not real policy. No. Like, oh, no, no, it's not. I'm not saying it is. It's it's but it's purely how politics is played now, which is what gets me down, because it's just all about the distractions. How much can we talk about what? The Muppets have been canceled or Joe Biden wants to ban hamburgers. No, wait, Joe Biden wants to ban gas stoves. I mean, every week it's another faux outrage for the angertainment industrial complex. And that's what they make you talk about. I have the same thing when I go on News Nation. Yeah, no, it's 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 really a shame. I, I think that there's so much and, and there are areas that they could legitimately attack if they really want to protect those tax cuts, which, by the way, um, are going to cost the economy, I think, four hundred billion dollars a year uh, by the by the middle of the the decade, um, and cost us all that revenue. When they're talking about spending, they're actually killing so much revenue generation. Yeah, uh, they don't want to tax wealthy people, but then you know they act. This is why Kid Rock is such the perfect, like totally spokesperson for the right totally. you know, Com- because he's completely he's like George, like working class person he's the rich guy who pretends to be who grew up with the horse stables you know everybody is you know as a kid that they want a pony he really had him you oh no I mean? he's he's like george w bush with hepatitis yeah i mean that's all it is <laughs> completely yes yeah, so, i mean you know this this guy but yet even though he's from Michigan and he gets to walk around with a Confederate flag and pretend like he's some working class guy out of a trailer park when he's never set foot in one, he stays in five star <laughs> hotels and eats, exactly. you know, prime rib. Yeah. Like Senator John Kennedy. Senator John Kennedy is literally a Rhodes Scholar, studied in Oxford, England, came back, was a Democrat. Now he's a Republican and he talks like a man who steals chickens. Like <laughs> it's, it's all this performative rubeness to try to get, you know, low information white folks to believe one of us, one of us. And, and I want to play a clip for you, Jason, earlier today and get your thoughts on this. Here's this is a minority leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries, speaking out on that group of wild eyed MAGA Republicans who just live to carry water for their messiah, Donald Trump. The 
conspiracy theorists on the other side of the aisle continue to, you know, peddle fantasies about the deep state, continue to attack the FBI and federal law enforcement officials, and it's all in service of defending the insurrectionists in chief. Boom. Who they continue to bend the knee to and who apparently is the leading Republican candidate for president despite all that we have seen over the last several years. They can't find someone else. <laughs> and again, like I think I hear that and I think Marjorie Green just announced she wants to impeach Biden and to impeach the FBI director and to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary and to impeach Merrick Garland. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's not about policy or helping people. It's all just hype. Yeah, I mean, it's really scary that Marjorie Taylor Greene is is seen as a serious person. I mean, first of all, she introduced impeachment <laughs> articles as soon as Biden entered office. That was the first time, you yes. know, it was some sort of retribution for Trump. And everyone knows that she's angling to to be, you know, a, v, a VP pick. So there's no question that she is, you know, uh, trying to perform. Now, what I find interesting about Marjorie Taylor Greene is she trolls the Parkland kids. She runs after them and does all of that. She interrupts at the at the State of the Union. She uh, trolls AOC. She does all these kinds of performative acts. She gets into a discussion with Jamal Bowman, and then she, she plays scared white woman. Yeah. I was afraid. I was... He was aggressive. I mean, Can you it's believe it. It was like a ridiculous. it was like a Karen trying to trying to get a city bike. I, I thought of the city bike lady right away. Oh, absolutely. It, it's the city bike lady. It's the uh, the Central Park Karen. It's, it's bird watching. Yeah. Yep. You know, exactly. and, and except she's in Congress. It's ridiculous. And he has a history of being aggressive. It, it's like. They are not using dog whistles anymore. <laughs> it's no. a clear, clear, you know, bullhorn or bull Connor horn. Yeah, uh, it's a train whistle. Uses. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's ridiculous. And of course, with regard to trying to carry water for Trump, I feel like everybody does that. And I'm not exactly sure what it is. I understand he controls the base. Yes, but it, it's it's like they will do whatever they can to impress this guy, and until I've never they find a new master, and, and unless he fizzles out because Ron DeSantis is announcing next week, as you well know, and I kind of feel like you know they would have done anything, Jason, for George W. Bush. They would hate anyone who criticized George W. Bush. The obedience. It wasn't loyalty. It was obedience to George W. Bush. And now, 15 years later, none of them will speak his name. They cut him loose right away. I'm convinced for all their mindless uh, bending the knee of Trump, if they found a new messiah they liked better, believe me, they would shift overnight. Yeah, I mean, that that's true. I don't know that George W. Bush had the cultural impact that Trump has. I I, well. I don't I mean I think he had he had followers um but just the devotion to Trump I I don't think I've ever seen it in my lifetime the the way it is and now they act like they never liked George W Bush because well, that's all what of I'm saying yeah. they're, they were against the Iraq war and they were against all of that. So now they pretend not only do they not speak his name they pretend like he's a bad guy. Exactly. Like, That's my whole point. I mean, the only thing I've seen in my lifetime comparable to the support for Trump was the support for this unholy evil war in Iraq. 
You know, it was the right. same kind of madness beyond reason, beyond morality, beyond the U.S. Constitution. People were fixated. And if you questioned it, it was a cult and they hated you. And it was this, that same kind of zealotry that I saw in my every night. Sean Hannity was attacking anyone who questioned this war. And now they're pretending they were there at the protests. Right. Absolutely. You know, it's it's crazy how how we get this cultural amnesia. And, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think the Republican race is going to be interesting. Um, But I think DeSantis doesn't have a chance. He's he's constantly losing. He just lost again with Disney moving one of their projects out. This guy, he's going to crash their economy, even if we are able to get out of this debt ceiling situation. I think the, the person who will win, uh, who wins biggest if this if the economy crashes because of the debt ceiling will be Ron DeSantis because he has cover uh, for what is going to happen in his state with his tough immigration laws and what's going to happen with Central Florida and all of those, uh, you know, farms there that can't find workers or workers that want to work like immigrants do. I, I think he's praying for the economy to crash. He's praying for us not to reach anything with the debt ceiling. Maybe. So to, you, you may be right. Yeah. it's. I mean, we have to remember as awful as he is and as uncharismatic as he is, he has tons of money and he will be in this race for a very long time. But I want to bring it back to Jamal Bowman and MGT on the sidewalk for a second. Jason, you engage with folks on the right all the time. Uh, so do I. If you were advising Jamal Bowman who's a wonderful guy, would you say that's the right thing to do? Like, in a way, it kind of felt like he was going toe-to-toe with the troll on Twitter mm-hmm. in front of everybody until AOC finally walked up to him and said, you can't win this, walk away. Um, and then she just turned around and used it for fodder. And of course, in fair, he did as well. He was on MSNBC tonight trying to get all the points he could from it. But is is that the way, is that a way of confronting people in the Trump cult that should be avoided or is it essential and we all have to do more of it? I think that, you know, so I'll say this. I believe that having conversations and showing your passion, I think is a good thing. I think we should, you know, approach these people and say, look, this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. You're caping for George Santos. That's how this all began. And then that's when, you know, MTG was felt backed in a corner and she started deflecting to the border or something Mm -hmm. like that. All the time. Really, it was about George Santos and the fact that they will not um, expel George Santos, despite the fact that the guy is a known liar, like lies about everything. You don't he lies about his name. We don't even know if his name is George Santos. He's called himself Anthony DeVolder many times. Yeah, he lies about his own damn name. Right. You know, um, so again, uh, but they know that they need that vote. You know, the, the mm-hmm. margins are too slim and they want that vote. So they kick it up to the ethics committee um, thinking that, you know, hey, we did something, but we didn't we didn't get rid of the vote because we need it um, and shows that they really have no values and no, you know, no morals or anything like that. They they really they probably let a child molester sit there on that committee. They, they're not concerned about that. So I think Jamal Bowman and his approach in some ways is good to hold them accountable, hold them accountable in public. Don't let it be in some small committee where each one of them can hide behind. That's right. You know, Kevin McCarthy. But um I also think sometimes you're you're 
you know, when you're dealing with masters of deflection, you know, it, it's not really going to go anywhere. So yeah. uh, that that as a conversation, if you if it were an honest person, it would be a good time to hold them accountable. But they're they're just going to deflect. And then when you're a big black dude and you're dealing with a small blonde haired woman from Georgia, mm-hmm. um, Republican woman from Georgia, you know, she's going to play the victim. And there's half right. of America that's going to say, you know, look at that big black guy. That's right. You're exactly. Oh, you're so right. It doesn't matter how nice he was. People will believe what they what they want to believe. Hey, Jason, a week ago when you were here, we were talking about the impending catastrophe and the blood that would be running in the streets as soon as Title 42 was allowed to expire. Uh, We were told for weeks that it would be just carnage on a grand scale. Both you and I expressed some dubious hopes that the Biden administration would be able to handle it. It seems like the human rights catastrophe we were promised didn't actually happen. It's still a mess. It's still pretty ugly. Uh, But they 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 stuck to their guns. They let it lapse and they're processing people. Yeah, I I thought it was going to be way worse. I thought this was going to sink his presidency it was going to be a really, really bad thing. I'm not even going to lie. I, I was like, no, the media made me think that. Yeah, absolutely. But then we saw that they actually did handle it. Now, they did institute a lot of Trump policies in order to do so. But <laughs> they, they did actually handle the situation where the encounters are going down. A lot of the migrants basically said that they were told to get there before Title 42 expires and to get in line. And so you saw that big rush where it was 11 or 12,000 in one day. And the Biden administration apparently was ready for that. And now it's almost pretty much at normal. You're getting down to three and 2,000 encounters a day. Um, I think they've done a really, you know, decent job. And and again, it's easy fodder for cable news to continue to make it seem like, like you said, like there's blood running in the streets. Um, And it's really not. And, you know, again, I was debating the CBP guy and he's sitting there talking about, I said, look, those migrant buses that are going to New York City, they're, they're really, they're not meant to help anyone or to help migrants or even help migrant communities. It's there to cause havoc in New York City. It caused havoc in Chicago. And they're like, no, no, that's not true. The Biden administration was flying people to all 50 states. And I'm like, okay, but dummy, but what was happening here is through Greg Abbott. He's putting them on buses. And yes, we know as a fact that they were being misled. And when they were being held through, uh, taken through Georgia, Mm-hmm. A lot of them were getting off the bus in the Georgia, you know, officials were like, stop using us. you know, Stop using that route. Take another route. Don't send them through here. Don't stop in Georgia, because a lot of these migrants were getting off the bus before they got to New York. That's so right. this idea, you know, that they're pushing and again, dropping people off in front of the vice president's residence. All of that is theater. This is all theater. And unfortunately, this is what cable news and blogs and all of that in the media has brought us to. It hasn't brought us to a healthy place as a society. And, you know, I suppose I'm, you know, I'm part of it, you know, but 
No, you know, I would, I would, I would disagree. I think you're an honest broker in the system. Uh, that's what I try to be. And you know, uh, like when I get a chance to do my own show, I don't want to have a lot of spectacle. I'll throw some comedy in, sure, but I like to talk to smart, informed people and get opinions I don't necessarily agree with. Um, you know, uh, I, I think we have to participate in the system as best we can. And I see you doing it on these conservative channels with a lot of honesty and integrity and 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 character. So I, I, I don't, I don't, you know, lump you in with all of that, but. But it's still the culture. And and I think people yeah. are starved for something deeper. I think people on the left and the right are starved for sincerity. And 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 that brings me to Jim Jordan. Um <laughs> because I we played this clip earlier, but you know, this this weaponizing the government ridiculous political theater committee he has. Uh they had more hearings today, and he's been talking all about these whistleblowers. Oh, we have these these two whistleblowers that are coming through. And today we found out that the two ex FBI agents who are the whistleblowers are actually being paid by Trump's close associates. They're all Trumpers who think the January 6th insurrectionists are innocent. And they're, they're, they're people who've literally been spreading the big lie all along. The whistleblowers are actually propagandists. And we played the clip earlier. Jim Jordan did not have a good day. What did you make of today's uh, government weaponization committee theater hearings? You know, it's funny. Once I dug into it, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is a waste of taxpayer dollars. While we're sitting here with our economy teetering on the edge, you guys are sitting here with these people who one of them didn't want to arrest somebody who was an armed, who was pretty much considered armed and dangerous. Mm -hmm. He was like, no, we don't want to bring a SWAT team in. And it's like, yeah, but you know, he has, you know, an AR-15. You know that he's armed. He showed up at the Capitol with a gas mask and, and a tactical vest. And yet yeah. you don't want to go in with a SWAT team. This guy's a three percenter. He's a three percent militia member. Mm. And he's like, yeah, well, yeah, you're right. It could be and like he literally admitted it during during the, uh, you know, examination wow. by the other members of Congress that he just really just agreed with the guy's politics and didn't want to go in with a SWAT team, even though it totally called for that situation. And then you have, as you stated, these guys getting paid by Cash Patel. Um, That's right. You know, I guess Cash is his, you know, Cash is his first name, middle name, and everything. He's just throwing cash around. Um, for but these. there was this great there was this great moment today where Jim Jordan was saying we have the whistleblower testimony, but the whistleblower doesn't want to share the testimony with the House Democrats at this time. And Dan Goldman just blew up and it's like the whistleblower doesn't make committee rules. I mean, it's nothing right. but propaganda for the cameras. Right. I mean, that's all it is. This is all theater. We saw Jim Jordan take uh, the committee to New York City and everyone's like, New York City? Look, the crime's going down here. <laughs> like, I know. Everything is actually improving. We're actually headed in the right direction. For all of you that say you love cops, you know, the NYPD is doing a decent job right now. Like, wh why are you guys sitting here and talking about what a cesspool New York City is? Which is interesting because I saw um, but you I saw your former mayor today as well. Tell me, which, which former mayor? Would that, be, uh, would that be Rudolph Giuliani who's having a very good week? Would that be him? Yeah. yeah. Uh, how's he doing? Yeah, What'd you see? Uh, the guy with the, you know, the 70 page uh, complaint uh, filed. Oh, against... Lordy, there are tapes. There are tapes. Yeah. 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 And text messages, too. Um, <laughs> you know, which I'm like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> like, um, But yeah, I, I mean, mean, it's it's 
are, are you optimistic about that? Like I've said for a long time, it's not going to be a party until Rudy and Trump turn on each other. And I don't see any way Rudy can avoid jail unless he makes a deal with someone at this point. If this suit goes forward, I think there's always the terrible chance that, that Rudy will just pay this woman a million bucks that he owes her and that she'll drop the case. But this this doesn't seem like a kind of thing you come back from. Yeah, I mean, but then again, you know, Trump just got found liable uh, of a sexual assault and he still got applauded at uh, an event by his supporters. And he's still leading the GOP pack. I can't imagine a time in history. This is this is what I mean. I can't imagine a time in history where somebody would be uh, found liable for a sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And they had that deposition that he had on tape. And yet still, yeah, still garner so much support. That's why I'm like, I don't I don't know a way out of this, you know, and if you don't show fealty to Trump, you know, you start to lose viewers like Fox. That's it. That's it. Fox is no, you know, people are literally calling Fox the left. And I'm like, this is insane. But Fox will survive this, won't they? Fox is going to shuffle their lineup a bit more. They'll bring in someone new or they'll promote some mook like Jesse Waters and and they'll try to rebrand themselves and they'll probably get Trump to come in and do another town hall. And they'll get those people will come back to Fox at some point. Yeah, I think so. I mean, to be honest, and and I've said this several times, I I have a tough time betting against big corporations. Same. They seem to always win. (laughs) It's a terrible thing sometimes, but... Uh, I think even Anheuser-Busch, like all of these big corporations, they're going to find a way. And we've seen this before. Glenn Beck, you know, left and and we thought that was going to sink Fox News. People were, I remember you were getting all these color of change. That's right. Uh, uh, surveys or whatever saying fire uh, or polls or whatever it was to fire Glenn Beck. And then it was O'Reilly with all his sexual That's assault right. allegations. And each time it's like the number one guy on the network, they fired him. Number one guy on the network, they fired him. And then there's somebody else that pops up. You know, Tucker came in, you know, a guy who I know and is very talented, very good at what he does. You know, I hate his views, but the guy knows what he's doing. Oh, well, and and at least. Yeah. And they're not even his views. He just knows what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah. God knows what Tucker believes in. Yeah. I mean, so I I think it's going to be really interesting uh, to see how they actually get out of this. But they're still number one. <laughs> they're still beating That's everybody. It. That's it. They're not worried about you know? it. Jason, before, I, before I, I let you go, we covered a lot of ground already. But I have to ask you, is it possible for a governor to actually ban TikTok in his state? Or is this just Greg Janfort auditioning for a broader national stage? I mean, I get what he's doing. Plenty of people on the right and the left might agree with it. I'm not going to say TikTok isn't Chinese malware. But can you really ban it in one state? Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not really sure how that's functionally going to work. I guess they're saying if it's available in the app store in that state. Yeah, uh, that's that, it. You know, essentially, they're going to fine TikTok $10,000 a day. A day. They're, they're not, not going to find. Well, they'll find they'll find whoever's selling it. They're not going to find people who download yeah. it. But if you're offering it for download in the state, they'll find you 10 grand a day. I don't right. know how that's enforceable. Yeah, I, I don't I don't fully understand that. I can say this. There are other ways to deal with these sorts of situations. I know because I, I you know, I don't think TikTok there's no evidence thus far. I'm not speaking up for TikTok or, or bike dance or anything like that. But 
there's no evidence thus far that TikTok is sharing uh, data with the Chinese government. However, it is clear that should the situation in Taiwan get worse and the relationship between the United States and China really go south, it, it, they could, you know, and, yes. and I think that that is a legitimate concern, both on the left and the right. I think the, the best thing to do is to make the Chinese government sell ByteDance. Um, mm. And we've seen that before because the, the gay app Grindr yes. was owned by the Chinese government at one point. That's right. And, and uh, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., uh, they made uh, the Chinese government sell Grindr. And... <laughs> You know, I think that was like, I think I was reading that was like in 2018. I don't want anybody uh, to think I'm on Grinder. That's okay. Not, not that there's anything wrong with We're being not on We're not going to kink shame here, sir. We won't kink shame here. You can be down low as you want if you choose to be, not saying you are. <laughs> My wife would be, would be very disappointed. Um, but yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing wrong for anybody that's on Grinder. you know, and yeah. the Chinese government has your information. Just know that. There you that. go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I, you know, they did that with with Grinder, and um, I think it worked out. Like threat averted. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the best route to go, rather than punishing, because other states are going to try and do this, and it's going to punish creators. You know, they were talking to some of the creators. I was watching some news program. I think it was like ABC News or something. They were yeah. talking about to. Uh, TikTok creators in Montana who were really frustrated by this. They're like, yo, this is how I make my money. And I think that we should allow, particularly for these people who blew up during the pandemic and they've kind of reshifted their lives around their TikTok creation. um, I'm all for them being able to operate and have a platform. And conservatives should know how that is more than anything, because they all complained about being shadow banned by YouTube and all of that. So they should want platforms for people to be able to, you know, do what they do. Jason, we're out of time. What's the best way for our listeners to follow you, sir? So I'm trying to be on Blue Sky. So check me out on Blue Sky, uh, Mastodon. um, And also you can find me on Facebook, at Jason Nichols or or Jason Nichols PhD, and uh, you can also hear me here on uh, Tell Me Everything every Thursday. We still can't believe you're willing to talk to us. Thank you, Jason. Have a great weekend. We gotta go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugelson. Keep it tuned to SiriusXM Progress. Peace. <laughs> 